0: It can be difficult for pediatric clinicians to identify if children and families are being affected by ACEs, or Adverse Childhood Experiences. ACEs occur in all communities and across all socioeconomic lines. Universal ACE screening gives pediatric clinicians a way to ensure kids and families don't fall through the cracks and that they get the resources they need for a healthier future. You're listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of provider screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm Lena Singh. In this episode, we speak with Amy Shriver, a pediatrician in Des Moines, Iowa. In addition to her own pediatric practice, Amy provides technical assistance to other pediatric clinics to help them implement ACEs screening. She also advocates for trauma-informed care at the statewide level with a nonprofit called Iowa ACES 360. Thanks for joining us today, Amy. Thank you for having me. We invited you onto the show today to talk about your work advocating for ACES screening in pediatrics. Could you tell us what are Iowa ACES 360 and the ACES Pediatric
1: Project? Sure. Iowa ACES 360 is a nonprofit uh, that was established in 2011 We had a a guest speaker come talking about ACEs, and there were a lot of stakeholders there who were interested in early childhood brain development and well-being. So that was a very big motivator for us to say, now that we know this information, do we care about it and what are we going to do about it? And why would you say that these initiatives are important in your state? Well, I think that... Like any other state, we care very much about our children, and we care very much about how they're doing. and And we're paying a lot of attention to uh, their school readiness and their school performance. And, like many other states, we're seeing that that kids um, are struggling with their third grade reading scores. They're struggling with graduation. And then we see them struggling in adulthood. and Uh, When we learn about the science behind early childhood trauma and uh, toxic stress, we have a better understanding of why those things might be occurring. Uh, As a general pediatrician, I feel very passionate that we are uh, a great point of access for young children and families to be able to talk about these things and be able to screen for these things and be able to provide resources for families and then be able to check back in with them and make sure that we're accomplishing what we need to do to help them be successful. Tell me more about the training you do in pediatric clinics with the ACES Pediatric Project. Walk me through what that's like for the clinics. Sure. So in 2017, I partnered with Iowa ACES 360, and we enlisted uh, a number of pediatric clinics around here to participate so we drove to their clinic uh, and we sat down with them sometimes for 10 or 15 minutes and sometimes for an hour and we trained the the MDs the pas the nurse practitioners we trained the nurses and the MAs and we trained the um, the other staff anyone who would listen we trained on the basics of early brain development on toxic stress and AC on the impacts it can have on development, on social, emotional, cognitive development, on health, on education, on some of the social stressors in life, and how ultimately if you have enough ACEs and they go untreated, it can reduce your lifespan by over 20 years. And So education about ACEs was the first step, and then we came in to really say, hey, we want to know what your needs are in this clinic, what your interest is in becoming trauma-informed, and we want to provide resources for you. So we created a four-pillar system to give them a framework for how we would go about helping them become trauma-informed. So education is the first pillar, and then the second pillar is about resource and referral. And we look around and say, Um, What sources do you have in place to help these families when we've identified issues related to stress in their lives or stress in their histories? And then the third pillar is about screening. And the final pillar is climate and culture. How can you look at your clinic's policies and make them trauma-informed. How can you create a climate that feels safe and welcome and reduces re-traumatization? And uh, so those were the four pillars that we were offering technical assistance for them. And how have providers reacted to the training? Well, first, I learned that not everyone knows as much about toxic stress as I thought. And when I brought this to some of the primary care providers, they really had no idea about it. And that was shocking to me. The majority of people really didn't know what I was talking about. And then the other thing that was surprising to me as we were beginning this program was that some people, it took a while for them to understand the concept that, That trauma and adversity are universal experiences. We know in Iowa that at least 56% of Iowans have experienced at least one ACE and that it's very common in our children. And when I'm talking to these providers, they have this idea that maybe only certain people experience ACEs. And maybe, maybe you can tell just by looking at them if they've experienced ACEs. And we know statistically that that's not true. And we know that ACEs can transcend um, the economic boundaries or any um, ethnic boundaries, and we know that everyone's can be susceptible to trauma. So uh, that surprised me that that people didn't really understand that ACEs are universal and that screening should be universal. What seems to resonate most with providers? Well, when I talk about Uh, stress and adversity, often I'll talk about grief. And um, grief is a universal experience for people that they can understand. And so that that resonates with a lot of people. And then when we talk about other forms of adversity, like um, substance abuse or mental health issues, I think people really um, start to understand that. So we try to give specific examples of You know, people that we've seen in our clinic and how we've been able to um, use our knowledge and training specifically to help um, children. What have been some of the outcomes of the ACEs Pediatric Project? Well, one of our goals for the pediatric project was to uh, discover some of the barriers or pitfalls to implementing ACEs screening and implementing trauma-informed care. So as a pilot project for the first year or two, we were able to kind of collect those. And we understand that providers see their time as a really big barrier. Uh, So that was one thing. The other... um, I guess, results of what we have done were to um, produce a module for training. So we understood that driving to these clinics and sitting down for an hour was pretty labor-intensive for us, hard to arrange for them, and we weren't really capturing everyone in the clinic all the time. So we wanted to take the knowledge that we were sending to them and put it in a form that was a little more usable for everyone. So we created an online module Uh, which is a training. It's an ACEs 101 training that explains uh, the Iowa ACEs data and uh, the potential problematic health and social and economic outcomes of ACEs, and that explains uh, how you can use trauma-informed care in your clinic. So we're excited about this, and it's being widely disseminated in Iowa, and we're finding people from other states that are interested. It's become a, a A user-friendly tool for people. And Iowa also has a partnership for resources and referrals called First Five.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about this?
1: Yes, I love First Five. First Five is something that a 21st century pediatrician cannot live without. It promotes screening in the first five years of life for social and emotional development and mental health. For primary care providers to use this screening to identify Uh, stress in the family, and then provide a resource for referrals that is kind of a one-stop shop for pediatric providers. So for example, um, we have specific forms that are handed out at each well-child visit that have specific surveillance questions about development for children. And then the same form has questions about family stress. So it says, are you experiencing any stress? none, mild, moderate, severe. There's a little menu underneath where you can circle or write in your own uh, stress that you're experiencing. And then we use these screening tools at every visit. And when they come up abnormal in some way, it allows pediatric providers uh, to enhance the conversation, to ask a little bit more about what's going on in the family. And then if a referral is indicated, it's quite easy to just fax it to the first five in whatever county the provider is working at. And the first five care coordinators will call the family, and they can call the family in about 180 different languages and talk to them and go through what stresses they're experiencing or what concerns they're having. So, for example... I had a mom come in with a two-month-old, and I do the screening even at two months, and the mom was um, circled moderate stress financial, and I asked about that, and she said, well, I really would love to go back to work to help my family support themselves, but I have this two-month-old, and I don't have any child care for them, and we just really can't seem to make ends meet. So I sent the form into First Five, and the First Five uh, folks contacted this mom within two days, and in doing so, they helped her uh, apply for a job, and they helped her with the current financial situation. So they, it was the middle of December. They got her heat turned back on and her lights turned back on, and they uh, provided her with resources for inexpensive or free diapers for her two-month-old, And um, then in further screening, they realized that she didn't really have enough uh, money for Christmas presents for her older kids, so they found clothing and Christmas presents for the older children as well. And then they sent me a form back that said, hey, we checked back in with mom, and she actually applied for that job, and she got the job, and then she now has health insurance for herself, and the family's income has gone up, and mom also called us back, and we gave her resources for how to pump while she's at work and provide breast milk for her infant, and we gave the um, recommendations for affordable child care for her. And so, you know, I read that, and I just watched, like, this miracle happen that never would have happened within my own clinic. So, For a pediatric provider, it's something that when you have the knowledge about ACEs and you have the knowledge about stress and you know that um, unmet social needs or whatever stress might be happening in that child's and family's life will have a direct effect on their overall health outcomes, you need something like First Five to be able to address those needs. You can't do any screening unless you have a way to address the needs, and that's what First Five provides.
0: What does being
1: an advocate for this issue look like to you? Well, for me, uh, I advocate individually in my clinic by doing the best job I can for screening for stress in the the family's home. And I always tell families when I see them, my goal is for your child to grow up to be the most successful grown-up version of him or her that they can be. And, you know, life is full of ups and downs and roadblocks. And every time that we come up to a roadblock, which we will, every time we come up to one, we're going to try together to find a way over it or under it or through it. And that's, to me, what being an advocate in my clinic is, is to understand what those roadblocks could be for every family. And so that's my individual advocacy. But, you know, community-based advocacy for this means that um, I can use my voice to talk to different groups. And I, I love talking to early childhood educators because they share the exact same passion that I do about helping those children be the most successful. And I compare pediatricians and early childhood educators like this. I think of uh, pediatricians were sort of like a, a little rain shower Whereas I see these early childhood educators as like an ocean, they get to um, you know have so much more rich and prolonged contact with the children and families. Whereas we get to kind of sprinkle our advice, knowledge, and surveillance um, just from time to time. And they're looking for answers too. They're looking for how they can be trauma informed and what their role is in toxic stress and management of children and self regulation and support of parents. So definitely. a important partnership that pediatricians need to be on the lookout for is those early childhood educators. And then advocacy to me also means speaking out to our decision makers. And sometimes that means, you know, businesses, but sometimes it means our legislature. And I'm fortunate to work in Des Moines where there are a lot of legislators and they listen. Are
0: pediatric medical providers in a position to be champions for this issue and how?
1: I think that pediatric medical providers are superheroes. And I don't say that in a vain way. I say it because we are at, positioned in a way that we have, you know, universal access. 90% of children in Iowa go see a primary care provider or pediatrician. And they see them frequently, and they come in multiple times, and we have multiple opportunities to have an impact. And so we have that universal access. We have that trusted voice. You know, if people list the top five uh, professionals they have trust in, pediatricians are always on the top five. So parents trust us. They look to us for advice, information, and they also look to us for providing the best evidence-based guidance for things that might cause problems for their kids in the future. And it turns out toxic stress is a big one. It's a big public health problem, and it is our responsibility to to talk about it. So I do think pediatric providers are, are the leaders in um, talking about this with families, um, guiding them, screening for issues that might be a problem, and then providing them appropriate resources and support and doing it in a multigenerational way.
0: What have been some hurdles you've run into with your advocacy efforts?
1: Well, on an individual level, I would say it's a challenge to uh, do screening appropriately in the clinic. I agree with the time aspect, and I agree with people's changing priorities. We're being pulled in 5 million different directions as general pediatricians, and we're expected to do everything in 15 minutes. So um, to me, that's that's a really big challenge. But I think In the community, it's important to know that all of this takes a lot of time. I'm a very impatient person. I want things to happen immediately, and, you know, creating something like the Pediatric the pediatric project that we've done, uh, it's just a process that requires a lot of patience. And I know that any advocate out there can say the same thing. You just have to have to be patient. You have to take baby steps. You have to celebrate the little successes you have. Um, but uh, there's always that pressure to want to do more. There's so much more to talk about and to teach. And so I think that's that's been a, a barrier of frustration is just um, trying to you know, understand that these things take time.
0: Well, there are clearly outstanding resources to support ACE screening and trauma-informed care in Iowa. How can pediatric clinicians in other states that don't have these types of resources push for
1: their development? The first thing that pediatricians can do is say yes to opportunities It's hard if you are working full-time, if you're just full of patience and then full of charts afterwards, but um, you don't have to do it alone. You find partners who are passionate like you, and I call them my tribe. Um, So finding all these partners and bringing them together to find solutions and work together and build on the successes that have already been done, I would say, is, is the way to go. So if I were in a different state, I would you know, reach out either by social media or contacting my American Academy of Pediatrics chapter and say, who are the champions that are out there that care about the same things that I do, and how can we get together and have this discussion? And one thing that Iowa has been great about is really trying to work together as a state. So we have, over the past two years, had a statewide meeting on resilience, and we talk about goals for the future, and we we talk in big groups, and we meet in small groups, and we get to know each other, and we pass out each other's cards, and we email each other, and we continue to maintain contact. So um, I think it just, it takes time and patience, and a lot of emailing, and a lot of Um, Skype calls. But these are the ways to build a movement in your state. I know I look to other states as a model um, for um, how they're doing things. California has so many resources, as you know. And then Washington has been a big resource for us, too. We've invited a lot of people from Washington to come talk to us. And the good thing about this field is that people aren't afraid to share. And there's so many resources out there. I know I go to the NPPC website quite frequently and um, learn from it, and so I would invite other people to do that, too. And if starting at the statewide level seems too
0: ambitious at first, how can pediatric clinicians begin advocating for a focus on ACEs prevention and resilience in their own communities?
1: The first thing that I would say for primary care doctors to do is educate your clinic and just make sure that everyone in the clinic knows about early brain development, ACEs, toxic stress, and resilience. And that's, that's not hard to do. There are so many people out there who want to talk to you about that. Once you've educated, then look around at your resources. What do you have for people out there? Do you have a social worker? Do you have an integrated uh, mental and behavioral health specialist in your clinic? Look at what resources you have or what resources you don't have as a clinic and then work toward building what you need. And then the third thing is everyone should really do everything they can to screen for ACEs and Current levels of stress and unmet social needs in their clinic. Because if all you're doing is screening for development, if all you're doing is looking at kids' ears, then that's that's not enough. We need to be looking for what's happening in their homes, what's happening in their communities. Um, because if we don't look and we don't ask, then we're not going to make the big impacts and the big differences in their lives that they need us to make. So that's what I would say: is start with your own clinic, and then. In your community, um, be a volunteer if you have time, if you have the willpower, if you like to talk about things. I know that communities are really looking for pediatricians to go out and talk. You can talk at early childhood uh, meetings and you can talk at at preschools and you can talk to parent groups and find those places within your community that are interested in hearing a pediatrician's voice and, and be that voice and spread the word. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Amy. Thank you.
0: That was Amy Shriver, a pediatrician in Des Moines, Iowa, who is advocating for ACEs screening and trauma-informed care at the statewide level. You've been listening to Voices from the Field, a podcast where we explore the perspectives of providers screening for ACEs and toxic stress. I'm your host, Lena Singh. Our editor is Jennifer Marshall. This episode was mixed by Francesca Fenzi. Ben Manila is our executive producer. This podcast is sponsored by the Center for Youth Wellness as part of the National Pediatric Practice Community on ACEs and made possible by funding from the JPB Foundation, Genentech, Cal Endowment, and the Hearst Foundation. The music was composed by Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.